It's become a classic of children's literature. It's called Pollyanna. How many of you read the book? Yeah, a few of you. It's a book about a little girl who learned to play the glad game. In other words, in every situation she found herself, didn't matter how difficult the situation was, how tough it was or how good it was, she would find something glad to be about in that situation. It started one Christmas Eve. You see, she came from a very poor family, and every Christmas they received a missionary barrel. And that Christmas, she so desperately wanted a doll, just desperately wanted a doll. They opened up the missionary barrel and discovered no doll, just a set of crutches. What could a little girl be happy about with a pair of crutches? She said, I'm glad I don't have to use them. In every situation, she found something to be glad about. Well, Lorna and I are learning to play the glad game. I know many of you know that just three weeks ago, Lorna was diagnosed with myeloma. It's impacted her pelvic area and lower vertebrae. Uh, She's very limited in what she can do. And those of you who know her, she has prided herself in being able to do anything and everything. And now she can't. She can't even lift five pounds. She finds it very difficult to walk. And uh, doctors have not yet confirmed what specific strain of myeloma it is. So on Tuesday, she'll have another bone marrow extraction and then start chemo on uh, Wednesday. And so in this situation, Lorna and I are learning to play the glad game. I mean, we're glad that God is in control. We're glad, as uh, Spurgeon has said, even though we cannot trace his hand, we can trust his heart. We're glad, as God and the Bible says, that, I mean, he collects our tears, and we've had quite a few meltdowns in the last three weeks, as you might imagine. We're glad for stories of healing. We're glad we live in a country like Canada with the medical assistance that we have. We're glad for people like you, and I know that many of you have been praying for us, and we just appreciate that so much. We're so glad for people like Bob and and, um, Don Cron, who are walking through this with us. And they haven't come to us with bumper sticker type answers. We've appreciated that very much, but they've come and walked with authentic love and care, and we appreciate that, that so much. We're glad that Lorna's cancer is not a reflection of God's love for us, and I preached on that the last time I was with you. I'm glad that God doesn't treat me as I deserve. Because, you know, in the last number of weeks, I've asked a lot of questions. To be honest, I've had doubts. Why? Why us? Does God care? I mean, will prayer and fasting really do anything, make a difference? I mean, I know God is able, and we sang so much about that today, and that was so affirming for me, but is he willing? So I'm glad God can handle my confusion, my doubts. And I'm glad, and to be honest, I'm not able to say this as convincingly as I would like to. It's kind of hard to say it, but I want to be able to say it. I'm glad my faith is being challenged right now. Because, you know, I have the opportunity to experience God in some ways that I haven't experienced him before. And so we're learning to play the glad game. And again, 
Uh, and Lorna just reminded me again this morning to say thank you to you for your prayers. It means so much to us to know that people like you are, are praying for us. But I, um, I want to invite you to play a different game this morning. Uh, if you're a Christian, not a Christian, don't want to be a Christian, you're a Christian and maybe just coming back, I don't know. Everyone can play the game. Here's the deal. Imagine, let's play the game of what if. What if, if you had absolute, absolute confidence and assurance that there really is a God, there's a personal God who knows your name, who is committed to you, and his promise is, I am for you, who will never leave you or forsake you, who will see you through or around everything you'll ever face. Imagine if you had that kind of faith, that kind of trust. You know, the kind of trust where, I mean, you're feeling very uncertain about the future. Maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe it's, you know, getting into a certain school, a job, relational thing. I mean, you've done everything you know. It's not happening yet. But you've got that confidence, and you're just kind of sitting back and saying, I'm just going to trust God to take me through. And so you're at peace. You have this peace that passes understanding kind of thing. Or you're in school. Teacher, teacher starts talking about, you know, an alternative lifestyle. And without hesitation, you just jump into the conversation, and you're just confident that, that God is going to give you what you need to say. Or you mess up real bad. But you just keep going because you know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Bob Cron can't talk. I got a cold. <laughs> Folks, what, what if? What if we had that amazing out-of-the-box kind of faith where no matter what's going on, we just had that ability to trust. You just knew God was there. You had the confidence he loves you, he's for you, he has your best interest in mind, and so you just keep putting one foot forward and you just keep trusting. Some of us, we know people like that, don't we? I mean, there's something very attractive about those people. No matter what happens, good, bad, they just have this incredible faith, inner confidence. So folks, imagine living like that, walking through every day with that kind of inner confidence, assurance, peace that comes with that kind of trust in God. Or imagine if you had what Steve Furtick in his book, The Sun Stands Still, what he calls, and I took the title from there, audacious faith. The word audacity, according to the dictionary, makes people behave with boldness or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thoughts. So what if you lived with this kind of bold, daring, I don't care what people think, I don't care what's going on around me, I don't care what it's cost me, I'm going with God no matter what. This is what God says, this is his promise, I'm just going to step out and trust that he will act on my behalf as I obey. What if we had that kind of bold, audacious faith? Furtick writes, if you think about it, confident disregard for the status quo is the essence of the gospel. It describes the radical path Christ's life took on earth. It goes to the heart of what it means to live by faith. If we're honest... We think of faith primarily in terms of a spiritual thought or a comfortable, comfortable feeling. 
We hope it's enough to get us to heaven when we die. But in the meantime, it's barely enough to keep us praying, giving, thank you, and going to church. He continues, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It does not get any plainer than that. Faith is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's the most vital building block of your relationship with God, and it's, only, it's the only real foundation with establishing, worth establishing your life on. So, what, what, what if we had that kind of audacious faith? Isn't, by the way, isn't this precisely where God wants to take us? Take me? I mean, when you read the biblical story, and whether it's the Older Testament or the Newer Testament, it's just one story after another where God is trying to build into his people this kind of audacious faith. You open your Bible, the book of Genesis, first book, and you immediately come across one of these kind of stories. It's the story. And Christians actually believe this, that it actually happened. But something happened between Adam and Eve and God, and had everything to do with trust and faith. It wasn't simply a matter of disobedience. It wasn't a case where God said, here's ten commandments, you've done eight, sorry, you messed up on two, get out of here. No. It was a faith. It was a trust issue. Adam and Eve decided that God was holding out on them, therefore he could not be trusted, that God did not have what was best for them, therefore he could not be trusted, that God had an agenda, had not communicated that agenda, therefore he could not be trusted. And the break between Adam and Eve and God was all about trust. It's a faith issue. But you know, God's been working that issue ever since. And this morning, I want to look at one individual who had that kind of audacious faith. There's a whole manuscript of the Bible that's dedicated to him. It's called the book of Joshua. And that book is about learning to walk with God. It's a book about real stories of real people who had incredible opportunities before them. Repeatedly, God opened different doors, invited them to walk through. But moving through those doors meant challenges, obstacles. It meant taking risks, learning to trust God like they never trusted him before. It meant obedience in the face of impossible situations. It meant facing their fears, facing their insecurities. It required bold, daring, audacious faith as they learned what it meant to walk with God. And it's a study, if you study it, it's going to stretch you and challenge you. And in that book, we get to meet this guy, Joshua. Many of us know his name from Sunday school because we sang that song, you know, uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, fought that kind of thing. So let me just give you a little more background. Joshua was born in Egypt. His parents were slaves. He became a slave. I think it'd be fair to say, didn't we all get off to a great start? Then one day, Moses showed up, reminded the people of the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so through a series of events, Moses activates such an audacious faith where if God didn't come through for him, he was dead, he's finished. God comes through and he leads one, one and a half million people towards the promised land. On this journey, we don't have the details, Joshua becomes kind of an assistant to Moses, takes on leadership. They march through the Red Sea, travel north, come to the border of the promised land, God calls a meeting. Moses, let's meet at St. Arbuck's. God says, 
Moses sent 12 spies into the land. You're going to develop a, a military strategy. Kind of, kind of need to know what you're getting into. So Moses sends these 12 spies into the land. Now let's remember here, 12 guys go in, okay? They see the same thing. They experience the same thing. And John Maxwell in his book, Your Attitude, Key to Success, argues, and this is the first thing I want to say about audacious faith, that our attitude at the beginning of a task will affect its outcome more than anything else. My attitude, your attitude, at the beginning of something, and it could even be coming to church on Sunday, or it could be taking on a job, whatever the case may be, that will have a lot to do with what you will experience taking on that task, attending that event. Maxwell, he tells the story of these two salespeople who were sent to a tropical island to sell shoes. One guy went, he saw that nobody wore shoes. He immediately sent a message back to Chicago, coming home, nobody wears shoes. The second sales guy gets there, and he sees nobody wears shoes. He sends a message back, send 10,000 shoes, nobody wears shoes. <laughs> yeah, your attitude, my attitude at the beginning has everything to do with what we'll experience. Back to our story, Joshua. 12 guys go in. As they enter the promised land, again, it's all about, okay, what are we going to believe about God? as we move into this area. Is he worthy of our trust or is he not? Will God do what he said he would do or could he possibly change his mind about what he promised? Is he capable or not capable of fulfilling his promise? Twelve guys go in. Remember, as I said before, they all experience the same thing. Exactly the same. Ten guys go in, ten guys go with an attitude. What do they see? We can't do it. No way. All of their men are NFL-type linemen. Their cities are fortified. Their war machinery is the best. So they come back and they argue, if we go in, we're going to get wiped out. Forget it. Let's not do it. Two guys go in, different attitude, right? What do they see? I mean, they're pumped. They're excited. They come back with a message of faith. The land we travel through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Guys, we can't lose. You see, you're in my attitude at the beginning. And this is true in every area of our life, folks. We an attitude towards school, attitude towards church, attitude towards a pastor, attitude towards a church leader, church service, small group Bible study. The attitude that you will have at the beginning will affect what happens more than anything else. Joshua and Caleb, they walked in, saw exactly what the other ten guys saw, came back and said, the land is everything God said it would be. It's fantastic. God can be trusted. He's with us. He's big enough, strong enough to fulfill his promise. Let's go. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel decided to go with the ten. Chose to go with their fear. It's a sad story. 
Leads me to say a second thing about audacious faith. You see, these guys did not understand, and it's what I think you and I often do not realize, that if you and I want what's God's best for us, if we want to experience God's best, audacious faith is not optional. Not optional. I mean, just think about it. The nation of Israel personally, personally saw God bring one plague after another on the Egyptians, and yet none of those plagues touched them. They personally saw God open the Red Sea and were able to escape the Egyptian army. They personally saw, this wasn't a rumor they had heard, they personally saw God take care of the Egyptian army. They watched God do one miracle after another. Every time they looked up and saw the cloud, the pillar of fire, they were reminded that God was with them, God was leading them, and there was no doubt about it. Every time they sat down for a meal, they were reminded God is with us. God is for us. God said, I will give you the promised land. I will give it to you. Yeah, there's obstacles. There's going to be challenges. You see impossibilities. But I'm a God of the impossible. Just activate your faith. You see, the problem was, and this is often my problem. You see, they failed to grasp that what seemed impossible for them to accomplish was exactly what God wanted to accomplish for them. What they saw as impossible for them was exactly what God wanted to accomplish for them. I wonder what that might be for you. Maybe you're standing at the edge of a promised land. What seems impossible to you may be exactly what God wants to do for you. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's some pain that you need to let go of, but you can't seem to let go of it. Maybe it's a relationship that seems like an impossibility. I mean, there's, there's so... Maybe it's a friend, family member, and it's about becoming Christians. Maybe it's a character defect that you see within yourself, something you desperately want to change, and you tried in the past, and it seems like it's an impossibility. I, I wonder what the promised land might be for you. What seems impossible for you, but that's exactly what God wants to accomplish for you. But it means we need to activate audacious faith. Now, my guess is some of you may be kind of resisting this a little bit. Maybe you're ready to shut me out because you're thinking, Albert, impossibilities. Just thinking about miracles, supernatural events, extraordinary events. That's a way out there for me. That's not where I am. I'm not there in my spiritual journey. In fact, I don't even know if I will ever be able to trust God for those kind of situations. That's too far out for me. Well, let me say something here about activating audacious faith that you may not have thought of. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you know, when you explore the miracles in the Bible, when you take a look at the miracles and you kind of strip away all the spectacular stuff, all the special effects, you know what you're going to discover? You're going to discover that most of them began with an ordinary act of obedience. Most of them began with an ordinary act of obedience. It's not what we usually think, right? 
And we think God acts in miraculous ways in response to some, somebody's you know, great faith, something like that. But guys, go check it out sometime. Most of what we call, you know, those extraordinary moves or acts or miracles of God began when someone said, God, you're right. I'm just going to go with what you said. I'll go with you. I'll do what you say. Most of the miracles began with a simple act of obedience, which means it doesn't really matter where you are at in your spiritual life. It doesn't matter whether kind of career you have or whether you're still in school. It doesn't matter where you're at spiritually. It means as a follower of Jesus Christ, God lives in you. You have the potential for audacious faith, and all you need to do is obey. That's it. You say, where did Joshua get that from? Well, my guess is he got it from his mentor, Moses. I mean, that's the story of Moses' life, isn't it? Began with a very ordinary working day, doing the average stuff of every day, taking care of his father and lost sheep. I mean, it doesn't get any more mundane than that. And remember, he's the guy who used to be the prince of Egypt. I mean, he had all the toys, all the resources, all the travel, but now he's out there taking sheep. I mean, talk about a letdown. But one day he's sitting there, there's a burning bush, he's curious, he walks over, God says, take off your sandals. That's it. Takes off his sandals, what happens? He encounters God. Moses, take that staff and, 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 and just stretch it over the Red Sea. God, what's that going to do, holding a staff over the Red Sea? Come on. He does it. And God does a miracle. Joshua, hey, hey, take people for a walk around this city of Jericho. Not a marathon, just, just kind of a few walks around the city of Jericho, okay? They obey. Walls come tumbling down. Jesus says, come, follow me. Not asking you to believe anything. Not asking you to do anything. Just come and follow me. And they follow, and they discover God and Jesus in so many wonderful ways. Their lives are changed forever. Hey, hey guys, go, go get those five loaves and two fish from that little guy over there, okay? They obey. And they watch God turn those little pieces of food into meal for thousands. You need more examples? Read your Bible. More often, that's the way it happens. It happens when you and I are going about a normal, everyday routine, and we just obey. Six months ago, talking to a young man who, working in an office, really wanted to find a way to begin conversations with his colleagues at work. He's in the bathroom one day, doing what young guys do in the bathroom, okay? Another guy walks in, guy blurted out, my life is so empty, so empty. And this guy realized, here's an open door, and began a conversation. Maybe it's somebody who's lost a job, someone struggling with going to church, maybe it's a medical thing, and you're the one who has Jesus in his or her life. And Jesus is just inviting you to walk into that person's life and allow him to do that miracle, whatever it might be. You see, God is calling us to make a difference, but more often than not, it will start in a small way. And you and I, we just have to be obedient to that nudge, to that prompting, to the sense that God is opening the door for us. For Moses, just take off your shoes in front of a bush. For Joshua, 
just go for a walk into that land, spy it out. And he tried to help people understand the path to experience God's best for us is through activating audacious faith. But instead, they gave into their fears, refused to follow God. And so what did God do? Gave them what they wanted, back to the wilderness. Leads me to say something else about audacious faith. It keeps on keeping on in spite of setbacks and in spite of other people's sins. You know, at this point, I'm really impressed with Joshua. Because just think about it. He lived with the consequences of other people's sin for 40 years and didn't let it get to him. Think about it. He and Caleb go to the promised land, check it out. Their faith in God was good and great. said, wait, we can do it. People reject their leadership. They say no to God. As a result, they head back into the wilderness. And now Joshua has to live with the consequences of the people's sin for 40 years. And nowhere do we read that he got frustrated, he got bitter, he got an anger, became an angry, bitter old man. He does not let other people's failures get to him. I think if I would have been Joshua, I would have said, you don't want to go with God? I mean, after all that God has done so far, you don't want to go with him? I'm out of here. I'm going to a different church, guys. But he doesn't do that. You know, recently I had a conversation with someone else who was talking about the hundreds of pastors who are leaving church ministry because they've been hurt in ministry. And sinned against while they were pastoring and now are out. You know, I thought to myself, Jesus got hurt. Got hurt a hot lot. I'm sure glad he didn't quit. Paul got hurt. He got hurt a lot. And he was the guy who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, you and me. I'm glad he didn't quit. My parents were part of a church community, and they fought a lot in that church. I don't know if my parents would have quit. Maybe I wouldn't be a Christian today. I don't know. I thought to myself, that's life, isn't it? I mean, you cannot have a meaningful, satisfying, fulfilling relationship with someone without someone sinning against somebody. And I think if Joshua were here today, he would say, hey, it's not a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. People sin against each other all the time. It's going to happen, but that's not an excuse for walking away, for saying, I quit. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember we trust God, not people. We trust God, not people. Joshua lives with the sins of his people for 40 years. There's no indication he became angry, bitter, resentful, constantly blaming others for his situation. But you see, that's what audacious faith does. It keeps on keeping in spite, in spite of disappointment, in spite of unmet expectations, in spite of discouragement. You've heard the story about the two frogs. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, said number one. It's fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, said world. And weeping still, he drowned. But number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprised. 
All the while, he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. I'll swim a while at last, at least, he said. Or Or so it has been said. It really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. An hour or two, he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and swam and swam and kicked and hopped out buying butter. Sometimes I wonder, what would have happened to Joshua if, because people rejected his leadership, because people never seem to learn that what seems impossible to them is exactly what God wants to do for them, what if, what if Joshua, living with their failure and with their sin, did not activate audacious faith, but became a bitter, angry, frustrated old man? And would have said, I'm out of here. We don't know, do we? I wonder. I mean, would God have treated him the same way he treated Moses? Yeah, you can take a look, but you're not going in. I don't know. Maybe Joshua would have never seen the walls come tumbling down. Maybe he would have never seen God destroy one enemy after another so they could go in and possess the land. Maybe he would have never seen God answer that impossible prayer. God, can you make the sun stand still for a while so we can finish the job? I think of all the things that he might have missed had he not activated audacious faith. But as I think about that, I wonder, what have I missed? Or what am I missing? What have you missed? What are you missing? What have we missed as a church? Or better question, what are we missing? So let me challenge you, brothers and sisters, to activate audacious faith because it's the way to experience God's best for us. And remember to activate it. You do not have to be that super spiritual person that you think you need to be. Remember, most often, God's extraordinary works begins with a simple act of obedience. A simple act of obedience. That's all it takes. Which means God can do it through you, through me, if we're open to it, and willing to activate that faith. Doesn't mean we have to be a big church, Wellington, Westside, that kind of thing. It just means saying, okay, God, I'm in. I will obey. I'll take that first step. And I will trust you. May God help us to live in with this kind of audacious faith. Thank you. God bless you.